Another edition of the Dogger Pass podcast. This for UFC Vegas 35. This episode is brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. A little later on in the episode, Pat will uh, drop in. You'll hear his dulcet uh, tones of his voice, and he'll tell you about the NFL free money offer that they've got going, which sounds pretty legit. Uh, Cody Saftik on the line here. Uh, coming into, I, we were talking about just before we went live, but why aren't we calling this like the ultimate fighter finale anymore? Now it's just like, it just melded into just the unending numbered Vegas cards that we have. Yeah. They used to be like tough finales. They used to be an event. They used to get you pumped up. They used to market it a little bit. You'd see commercials and stuff being ran, but instead, no, it's just uh, Vegas 35, another event at the Apex. Let's not talk about this whatsoever. And yet there will be two tournament champions, but something else that we spoke about off camera was this is lower level than what you see on contender series typically. Like a lot of these contender series guys are former LFA champs or CFFC champs or somebody from, you know, the top Canadian guys or some decent guy from Brazil. But in this case, it's, you know, not to say that guys like Brian Battle haven't given an excellent account of themselves on the show. I just mean prior to getting on the show, the vast majority of these guys had almost no experience. It's almost comical. Both first-round picks of both teams, Ortega and Volkanovski, both lost in the first round, right? Ryder Newman, the second-round pick for Volkanovski, lost in the first round. This Petrovsky guy got through a round. We'll talk about him later. Lampros out in the first round. Like, you get Gilbert Urbina coming in replacing... Teresa and Gore, they were both fourth-round picks. Ricky Tercios was a fifth-round pick. Brady Heinstead, again, another kid that gave a good account of himself on the show, was a seventh-round pick. Brian Battle was an eighth-round pick. <laughs> Someone's getting a six-figure contract, so whatever. It's greasy MMA, but we love talking about MMA regardless. And speaking of greasy, and to pay a little bit of respect to uh, your boy, Vince Pichel, I went with the Cody from Hell, Safshell mustache so just a little bit of kudos to him because he really did pull through and i know you're expecting your boy to get the win as always but that's what uh, Vince does. Man, that guy's just like the he's just like the engine that keeps on ticking man he's always got something left you smack him with a couple good shots he comes right back he's always in it great it's, ring iq My his God. ring iq is next level and like he's a jack of all trades in terms of his skills it's like the only times that we've really seen him completely falter is when he's taking on guys who are just way better wrestlers than him. But it's like he's pretty good at wrestling. His striking's good. His pace is good. His cardio's good. I wouldn't say he's elite at anything, but he's elite at making me bucks because I'm now 9-0. <laughs> yeah. and The pin, the Pichel whisperer lives on. Anyway, let's get into these fights. We got Edson Jr. Barbosa taking on Giga Chikads. Minus 115, Barbosa. Minus 105, Chikads. Who you got, Cody? Yeah, okay, so speaking of the engine that just keeps ticking, I mean, you've got Edson Barbosa. In many ways, this guy just refuses to go away. He's taken some bad losses, and he's taken some bad beatings. But he always finds a way to come back just as athletic as before. He found a way to reinvent himself at 145 pounds. Like, who would have thought that at his age, after all those wars, after being a considerably big lightweight, you know, how do you make 45? But again, just like Jose Aldo, he's kind of got this late career resurgence going where all of his skills are still intact. He's successfully dropped down a weight class and he seems to be gone one last run. So yes, he is 35 years old, but I've been impressed with his work. The Danny Ige fight could have gone either way. It was extremely close. Most pundits seem to believe that Barbosa was robbed in that fight. Was a good fight. Shows you he still got something left in the tank. It's the next two. The Makwan Amerikani fight, sure. He was trying to wrestle the entire time. 
Barbosa did a good job of showing us that traditionally good takedown defense, keeping the fight standing in the later part of the rounds, winning with the striking exchanges. But that last fight against Shane Burgos, I mean, man comes in as an underdog, slight underdog. Um, Burgos is on a tear, right? It's it's that young breed against the old guard. And the old guard, Edson Barbosa, just looked as young as ever. I mean, his striking's on point as it always is. He's one of these guys that's standing. He's got the leg kick. We always know he's got the leg kick, but he's got big, heavy hooks, nice, big, long punches. I mean, he uses his 5'11 frame pretty effectively. And in fact, Giga Chikots is known for his long frame as well, six feet tall at 145 pounds. Crazy. But it'll be Edson Barbosa coming in with the one-inch reach advantage. And he does a pretty good job of snapping out that jab using that. So we know he's got the low kicks. We know he's got some decent striking. If he could theoretically mix in a little bit of wrestling in this spot, would be great. Thing is, he hardly ever does. He shows one takedown in his last like six fights. It was over Paul Felder. But again, wrestling's not something he's looking to go to all the time. And for that reason, even though I think I am going to take Edson Barbosa, you can't feel confident about it. This could be Giga Chikatsu's coming out party, or this could be that one opportunity everybody's been waiting to finally hit the big fade button on Giga Chikot. Because again, when he came into the UFC, he just had a run of the softest level of guys on the regional scene. That was the narrative. Every every capper broke down every time he fought for sure. He fought low-level guys. He's a kickboxer. Wait till someone takes him down. But again, when you look at his run, you know, it's been tailor-made to a guy's career. These are the kind of opposition that you can go out and look good against. He beats Brendan Davis on a split decision. Super competitive, right? He beats Jamal Emerson on a split decision. And Emerson's low watt ring IQ is what cost him that fight. So not a great start out the hop. And he's looked good his last four, but Irwin Rivera currently in jail for murder. Omar Morales seemingly missing something, and it wasn't a great fight. Jamie Simmons, you know, should be a walk in the park, and he made it look as such. And then Cub Swanson, legendary name, kind of at the tail end of his career, right? So you can make that argument, well, Edson Barbosa is a legendary name, tail end of his career. But again, I believe he's still got something left in the tank. And his run has not been tailor-made for anybody. He's fought all of the best guys the sport has to offer. And generally gives a pretty okay account of himself every time out. So, you know, if we're going with experience, then it's got to be Barbosa. If we're going with durability, we know Barbosa can take a shit kicking and come back. Where we, we, we I don't know about Giga. Have we seen Giga get beat real bad in there and have to face adversity and come back? As far as five round championship cardio goes, it looks like Giga is able to pace himself extremely well, mm-hmm. and therefore probably is going to be able to fight five rounds in a striking type battle. Maybe. But if this thing did get greasy, would we have confidence that Giga can go a hard five? Um, there's just too many question marks. And, and the flip side to that, if you are backing Giga, you're not on the wrong here. Again, this could be his coming out party. And he could go out there, look like a million bucks, and knock out Barbosa. And then he jumps it right into title contention. And we're going to start believing in him. I just need to see a little bit more. This would be his first bona fide win, in my opinion. Like, legit top echelon win. But until he notches that, I just can't get behind him quite yet. So I will go Barbosa, but I am hesitant. I am lenient, uh, you know, a little bit worried. And probably won't have the, the highest amount of investment on this main event. I already bet Edson Barbosa. I got him at minus 110, minus 115 is fine. I see the market's finally starting to move because, frankly, everyone's got him Edson Barbosa bet this week. So that is always a little bit terrifying. Everybody's on one side of a pick and, you know, the line stays close to a pick It's It's uh, It's always, you know, you kind of start wondering, do the books know something that I don't know? But uh, I think really what it comes down to here for me is just volume. You go through all of the numbers of Edson Barbosa's career. He's throwing at a much higher clip than Giga Chikadze. Giga's got, you know, the body kick, the kick to the body could be a big problem early. The one thing, the one thing that really scared me away from Giga completely, though, is in that Jamal Emmers fight. We'll talk about Jamal Emmers a little bit later down the card. 
But and obviously Emers was mixing and wrestling. He got two takedowns in the fight. But could have gotten a lot round more. Round <laughs> three, round three. Giga is looking hurting for certain. And so yeah, like he he clearly clearly like if wrestling is mixed in, and maybe maybe Edson pulls off a little bit of a he starts going for some takedowns in this spot like. He's been working on these things. I mean, usually he's on the wrong side of the wrestling, but like I would imagine he's probably got the wrestling advantage. That's not where he's at his best. But Giga round three against Jamal Emmers was definitely problematic. Like he was really, really slow as he entered that round. Was getting outstruck by Jamal Emmers in round three, and then you know now he's got two quick knockouts, looking great. Uh, the Cub Swanson body kick, everyone saw it. it you know he's kind of catapulted, but if Edson gets out of the first two rounds in this fight, I like him even more. So I'm in on Edson Barbosa. I'll be watching live and maybe adding more if we just get through the, like the danger zone early on. Um, that's really all we got to say about that one. We've got Brian Battle taking on Gilbert Urbina. Brian Battle is a minus 160 favorite. Urbina can be had for plus 140. This was supposed to be Brian Battle against Trishan Gore. Trishan Gore actually looked pretty good. I watched a couple of his fights on the Contender Series, or on uh, on uh, the Ultimate Tough. Fighter. And uh, he he looks like he's, we'll see him obviously in, uh, you know, in the months to come whenever he gets over injury. But, uh, you know, Urbina had fought Trishan Gore got pretty dominant, you know, gorgeous kind of controls range the entire time, able to pick him apart and, and put him to sleep. Um, I guess it was Gilbert, Gilbert Avina fancies himself a bit of a, of a grappler, I guess. Like that's what he did against Mikael Gilmore, who we'll talk about a little bit later down the card. He went in there, basically just like swarmed him, grabbed him, got control, a little bit of ground and pound, found a sub. I mean, uh, you, you'll hear what we have to say about Gilmore later on. It isn't great. Brian Battle, I think he looks like he's got all of the tools. He's had a good account of himself on the show. Um, I like his work in the clinch. Like, I, he's throwing some really nice elbows uh, elbows in the clinch. And his takedown defense looks pretty solid. He's pretty long for the uh, for the weight class. Urbina, I think, has fought at 170 pounds before. Um, I think it's Brian Battle or Bust in this spot. What about you? Yeah, I think you got to go with Brian Battle as well. He's looked better on the show, and he does uh, tend to be the bigger guy, as you mentioned. I mean, you've got Urbina, who's largely fought between 170, and he has fought at catchweights of 175 and even as high as 179. But this is that middleweight. Brian Battle is the actual middleweight. Once upon a time, this is going back a long time ago now. It must be 2015, right? When you were doing the bookie beatdown at the time before we had to switch the name due to legal reasons. Uh, anyways, regardless, we talked about one Hector Urbina. Paul says, first time he coined the phrase, this guy is the worst guy in the UFC. I don't Turns use, out Paul was right. I don't use as that he phrase. Is right, and then it, I don't use that phrase anymore time. because... You know, look at the so state. Many bad guys. There's so many bad guys. It's hard keeping track at this point. The only way you'd be able to use it is like if a CM Punk was to come back or it was like somebody, it was a novelty. They shouldn't be on the roster, but like Dana was giving some celebrity a fight in the UFC for whatever reason. It's like you could most definitely pinpoint that one guy 
as the worst guy in the UFC. At the time, the UFC making the roster still meant something. So the fact that Hector Rubino was on it, uh, he was super low level. Paul was all over it. Sure enough, he, I think he fought Sheldon Westcott. And uh, he got smoked right out of there. Easy money for Sheldon Westcott. He made a terrible impression on himself. Regardless, Hector Rubino just didn't pan out. So you got Gilbert is the younger brother, the younger brother. So right there, it wasn't like this is... You know, oh, man, he's coming from a high-end MMA family. I think there's three fighters in the Urbina family, but none of which have really jumped at any stardom. One thing I noticed about Gilbert is that he turns pro in 2014, right? One month after his 18th birthday. A month after he turns 18 years old, he turns pro, wins two fights in 2014. Fights twice in 2015, takes 2016 off, fought once in 2017, fought once in 2018, fought once in 2019, took 2020 off, and then jumps into the ultimate fighter. How's he fare on the ultimate fighter? Wins his first fight and then loses to Trejan Gore. Now, mind you, like you said, he beats Michael Gilmore, who we'll talk about in a bit, and then gets knocked out by Trejan Gore. No world is he making the finals. In fact, he'd be lucky to make the finale card in general. But just by chance, Trejan Gore's out with a knee injury, and so this gives Urbina an opportunity to step in. So right off the bat, he's the smaller man. He shouldn't be in the finals to begin with, and his game looks limited. He's an okay striker. I'm not going to take that away from him. Where he shines best is he's a decent enough wrestler, and that's one thing with Hector Urbina and I believe the other brother's name, Eli. They're all wrestlers, right? It is a wrestling family, turn fight family. The fight side of things not great. The wrestling side of things, at least that is a decent enough base that you could potentially utilize, right? Brian Battle doesn't have a base. He's not a wrestler. He's not a striker. He quite literally walked into an MMA gym and just picked up MMA. He started fighting amateur just four years ago. He turned pro last, just like two years ago, 2019. Um, doesn't have hardly any experience, but what I'll give him is whereas one guy has fought very sporadically once or twice a year, once a year, really, over the last five years and really had not gotten a whole lot of experiences, Brian Battle will just start fighting. And fighting is how he got his experience. He hasn't wrestled. He hasn't done his striking. It's just fighting, fighting, fighting. And dude, pretty decent uh, amateur career. Loses his debut, ends up rattling off eight straight. Amongst those, he beats Impic and Sanganai by unanimous decision and picks up a win over Cody Brunridge from the Contender Series. Brunridge was a solid, solid collegiate wrestler out of Michigan. And Impic and Sanganai is a super solid prospect currently fighting in the UFC, right? The Kinsanganai the fight in particular, Brian Battle just grinds him, takes him down, out-wrestles him. It's solid enough work. Turns pro, and I mean, yeah, he's been fighting extremely low-level guys, but you can see that there is something there. There is something in progress. Watching this season of Tough Man, like, not not impressed. Like, the, the level didn't seem super elite, and the fact that all these five, six, seventh, and eighth round picks are the guys that made it this far, I think is a pretty good in indicator of that. But Brian Battle actually looked like at 26, give this guy even more experience, move him along, don't throw him at the wolves right away, could be decent enough. And mm -hmm. so this is his finale to win. I agree with the line. I agree with the odds. And I agree with, uh, you know, it seems like most people are on him, but I'm going to agree with it. Last thing I want to mention with Gilbert Urbina, because, you know, is this, how is Brian Battle going to win? I would think by decision, but shit, Urbina was getting drawn. You watched the fight, his, his last, the fight with Gore. He's getting dropped by jabs, man, and like uh, getting dropped a lot. I like mean, his ability to withstand damage didn't look great. It was yeah. not a very good performance. Gore whatsoever. looks good though. In fact, like Gore yeah, would have been the that's favorite. Fair. That's fair. Gore would have been the favorite if he was if he was able to show up on this day. Are you sure about that? I'm not I think entirely sure favorite. about that. I think he would have been the Could favorite. Be. I think he actually looked pretty decent. I, I think him and Battle would. Yeah, I thought Battle looked okay. 
Okay. I think they both. And you also mentioned the uppercuts from the clinch. You know, like he he fights decent at range. He fights good in the clinch. He Mm -hmm. can wrestle. Like because he doesn't have one set base. He's a complete generalist and just picked all the skills up at once. He's pretty good at mixing it all in together. But For sure. You're right. Him and Gore would have been an excellent fight and a fun finale. Him versus Urbina, I don't get that, that same impression. This one should be Brian Battle. So this is low level, right? Your, your buyer beware is right there. So it's not super high level. Both guys have holes in their game. It just seems like Urbina's probably got more of them and Battle's got the higher upside. So we'll go with Brian Battle. Ricky Tercios takes on Brady. He stands minus 160 Tercios plus 140. He stand who you got. Okay. So this one's probably, if these guys fight in a few years down the road, I think Brady, he stand beats him, right? It's does he beat him currently right now at this stage in his career? And that's an excellent question, man. He's only 22 years old for my money. It's a little, just it's too young, right? How, how much more development are we going to see out of them, right? We, we hate getting caught in these situations where you get a Chase Hooper or a TJ Laramie, someone that probably does have a legitimate amount of skill, but they're getting thrown in with the big boys. And the one thing with Ricky Tercios is like he's – him and Josh Reddinghouse were kind of the big dogs on this season. Like they had actual fight experience. They had fought in legitimate levels of competition. Reddinghouse, you know, he, he's fought in – He's got some decent wins over mm-hmm. uh, in Russia. He beat Sergey Morozov over in Russia. Like you know, that's a decent enough guy. He's and been in the PFL himself, and he's been around Reading House. Yeah, like so. So those guys had some experience, but this Brady Hines stands. You know, he's 22 years old. He's still very green, and that's why he goes off as like the seventh round pick. When you look at his wins, uh, 0 and 2, 0 and 0, 0 and 4, 0 and 6. 9-5, and five, Chan Anhelanger from uh, Alberta, pretty solid, and 1-12. So let's take you take Chad off of that. It's a, like, 1-25 or something like that record from his from his pros. So he's fought on a super low level. But again, he jumps on the ultimate fighter, and where he's low level before he gets there, he looks pretty decent on the show, man. This kid can wrestle, and he goes out there and beats Reddinghouse in the first round on a split decision, hard-fought split decision. You see he can wrestle. You see he can scramble. See, this kid's a, definitely a willing body. And then he goes out and he knocks out Vince Murdoch. So Vince Murdoch, in my opinion, is not very good. Also, Vince Murdoch had a knee injury coming into that fight. So you could yeah. make an excuse that he wasn't even at his best to begin with. But Brady went out there. He got the first round knockout. Now he's in the finals. Apparently, he had some injuries coming off the show. But he's been given some time. He's been able to heal. And no doubt that that was a positive experience for a 22-year-old kid because he has to test his mettle. I guess the most experienced guy in the show in the first round. And then furthermore, went out and beat Vince Murdoch, a guy that fought on the contender series, a guy that apparently was actually signed to fight in the UFC, but he had that like brain hemorrhage or he had like a bad brain scan. So they nixed it. Then he fought in contender series. All I'm saying was he was supposed to be a UFC veteran. Those are two solid wins. In fact, of anybody on the show, Brady Heinstein probably picked up the two biggest victories. I mean, he knocked out Murdoch in the first. I like what I see out of him in terms of he's probably got the wrestling edge here over Tercios. The problem is, is that Ricky just keeps throwing and throwing and throwing and has good jiu-jitsu and will throw up submissions and will scramble and will get back up. But his takedown defense is actually a little bit of a worry. And the worry for me would be that Brady's able to take him down and neutralize him, hold him down, and then use that as a path to victory. But, you know, again, with Ricky, he, he's at a team alpha male. He trains wrestlers on the daily. He's the way more experienced guy. He shows two pro losses, Mana Martinez, who we're going to talk about later on the undercard, and Boston Salmon, who also fought in the UFC. So that in itself, he's fought in the higher level opposition. He's got a win over Josh Pava. That's pretty solid. Um, he, he, You know, he's the more experienced guy. He seems like he'll be able to do more at distance. 
He'll be able to do more in the open space. And I think if it's a fight of who's going to outwork the other guy, I think Ricky might be able to just persuade the judges with his stop. But this Brady kid can't be overlooked. He's most definitely a live underdog. And I think in a few years, he would be, he's a prospect. He's a 22 year old prospect. Ricky's 27. He's still a prospect. No doubt about it, but it's like he lost to Boston Sam and Manda Martinez, I think is pretty decent. Lost to Boston Salmon doesn't really do nothing for me. And then since then, again, he's another one of these guys that's fought sporadically. So you're getting two more lower-level guys, still a little bit green, holes in their game. But, I, but I'm a little bit worried about this Brady kid. He could definitely come in and cash. And what's he's currently sitting at? Plus 140, right? So not even a terrible line on him, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, from watching, from watching tape, I kind of thought it was dog or pass. Um, I thought what I was really impressed with Brady and is that his takedowns looked pretty solid. Like his entries to the takedowns really, really quick, like technical. Um, I, I, he looks like he's got a lot of potential, but yeah, 22 years old, obviously fighting somebody, you know, higher level of competition than he's ever fought in his career. I'm on the over here. I parlayed it with, uh, with something we'll talk about a little bit later down the card. I know that, you know, uh, he stand has a whole bunch of like finishes on his record, but you know, watching watching what he's capable of doing on the contender series, I don't think yeah, his hands definitely seem to have a long ways to go, and uh, I think the you know the veteran in Tercios is going to neutralize that a little bit. I think it's a close fight. If I was forced to pick a side, it would be he stand at plus one forty, but I like the over uh, two and a half minus one seventy five as a parlay piece. That is where my money's at. Moving on down the car, we got Kevin Lee taking on Daniel Rodriguez at 170 pounds. Kevin Lee, minus 150 favorite. Rodriguez can be had for plus 130. I don't like this for Kevin Lee. Kevin Lee is like was massive. He's got lots of skills. He's still only like, what, 28, 29 years old. A lot of the ability is already there. And we've seen, you know, on his best days... Um, the guy looks like an absolute world beater, but yeah, him as a favorite taking on Rodriguez, who's like four inches taller than him has, uh, Lee's got really like freakishly long arms. So I guess the reach advantage is actually still, uh, with Lee, but you know, the size are, I always hate when I think like the best path to victory for Kevin Lee in this fight is to utilize that wrestling. But we know about Daniel Rodriguez. He's a 10th planet jiu-jitsu guy, so he's pretty solid down there. And his stand-up game is is awesome. So it's like a smaller guy moving up a weight class, and he wants to control in wrestling as a minus-150 favorite. It isn't for me. I wanted to talk to you first, but I'm considering betting Daniel Rodriguez in this spot. Honestly, it's never a bad idea to fade Kevin Lee as if you can get a plus money ticket against him just because yeah what, what version of him is going to show up Paul I think we both know if this kid shows up he's amongst the best in the world he shows up for even in spots in certain fights the Tony Ferguson fight the first round it's like my god he's got Tony Ferguson mount he's pounding on him a much better version of Tony Ferguson the uh, Gregor Gillespie fight with the head kick like oh my god he had some Barbosa fight outside of him getting caught with that like you know spinning wheel kick for very briefly that kind of caused him to do the stanky like just dominates this guy and beats him within an inch to his life like that was a hard to watch beating right kevin lee shows up he's a top top talent but the other side of it is when he does and he gasses out really quick 
you know, I'm not going to say takes the easy way out, but his body's shutting down on him. And I think that's because of the weight cuts. This guy is a massive 155 pounder and it's not translating into results at 170 pounds. Again, we have seen him fight at 170 before he lost that fight with Rafael Dos Anjos. Again, another fight that he started off really good in and then completely exhausted himself by the by later on and got submitted in the fourth round. Key for him here is that it's not a five-round fight. It's only a three-round fight. So him at 170, he should be able to go out there and dominate with his wrestling or even just with some striking for at least two of these three rounds and then hold on beyond that. Even that last fight with Charles Oliveira. Mind you, he's fighting the current lightweight champion. He gives a pretty good account of himself early on in that fight. He's fighting the best guy in the world and he's in it, but he missed weight by three pounds in that spot. Or I guess two pounds. It comes in at 158. You know, it was another bad weight cut. You know, it's hard on his body. He is young, as you mentioned, but being young, he's every day. You're just, you're filling out that frame more. Naturally, you're becoming larger and the weight cuts are getting tougher and tougher. You're wreaking havoc. You're wrecking havoc on the body. Now look at a guy like Michael Chiesa. He was a huge lightweight as well. But when he went to 170, it worked for him. All of a sudden, you can wrestle longer. All of a sudden, you're feeling better. All of a sudden, you can take a better punch. And Well, you know, Michael Chiesa can always take a pretty good punch. He's got a solid chin. But you're just feeling a lot better. And I think if Kevin Lee comes out and is feeling better, he's going to have one of those good Kevin Lee performances. And if he does, it's going to be a problem. He was initially going to take on Sean Brady, who, as you know, I'm a massive fan of. Uh, so it was going to be a tough fight. But now Sean Brady's out. you got D-Rod coming in on short notice. Should be able to have Kevin Lee go out there, use his striking. You know, he's trained by Dewey Cooper. He's got a decent jab. He's a long guy, as you mentioned, really long reach. The kicks are definitely coming. He's got solid power in his hands. And again, is the best of his abilities. He can knock guys out like Gregor Gillespie. At the worst of his abilities, he's still a decent enough striker to keep it live with D-Rod. It's grinding on him, taking him down, hopefully. Rodriguez has been training at the BMF Ranch, right? So who's he really been working with? Like who, Who's really been testing his metal? Who's really Gilbert been grinding Urbina. him to the ground day in and day out? Yeah, Gilbert, Gilbert Urbina, you know, his cowboy still in the gym, you know, is Paul Felder dropping his commentary gig to fly back and then say what's up to the gang. Like, it's mostly a bunch of buddies who would get together and train hard, don't get me wrong, but I just don't know that you have a Kevin Lee in the gym every day testing you, whereas Kevin Lee in Vegas, as he normally is, but, you know, he surrounds himself with top-level guys. He knows his back's up against the wall in the sense that he's lost three of his last four fights. And even though it's all elite-level competition, this is a step down, and you need to shine against that step down. So as much as I completely understand that a shot on D-Rod is not crazy, it's decent dog money for sure, I don't know that I'm going to go that way. Minus 150 Kevin Lee seems pretty solid to me. Like, that's a good line. And in terms of you can make a solid dog case, and I don't really think Gilbert or Bina, but there's a lot of cases you can make for dogs in the spot. It's just figuring out which one we're actually going to pull the trigger on. If you want to go with D-Rod, I wouldn't fault you for it, but I, I myself am kind of feeling that Kevin Lee comes out, looks better at 170, neutralizes a lot of these positions, uses his wrestling. And even though, you know, 10th degree jiu-jitsu, a lot of 10th degree jiu-jitsu is mostly off your back in neutralizing positions. You know, you're looking for mission control. You're looking for triangle chokes. You're looking to attack arm bars. Like, I don't like guys that fish for submissions off their back. I like, like guys that try to scramble and get back up. When Kevin Lee's getting submitted, you know, it's not, it's very rarely he's getting caught in shit while he's on top. Like, you got to tire this guy. Yeah, you got to make this guy work. You got to hopefully get on top of him or snack something up. And I just haven't seen enough from that from Rodriguez. So, I'll, uh, I'll go with the favorite here, minus 150, Kevin, the Motown Phenom Lee. I'll uh, I'll watch the weigh-ins before I make any move, but I mean I'm I'm worried about his the size disparity between these two. That's all. That's that's all I'll uh, say about that.
The NFL is back, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving all new players a can't-miss offer for Week 1. Just bet $1 on any NFL game during Week 1 of the season and receive $200 in free bets instantly. No matter what, take advantage of this limited-time offer now. You heard it right. DraftKings is giving all new players $200 in free bets instantly when you place a bet of $1 or more on any Week 1 game. Head to DraftKings Sportsbook app now to check out all of the other great promotions and daily odds boosts. Plus, you can make every game a big game with a same-game parlay. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DOP to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any week one game. That's promo code DOP to get your free $200 in free bets instantly for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, moving on down the car. We've got Andre Petrosky taking on Michael Gilmore. Minus 525 Petrosky. Plus 385, Gilmore Petrosky was like one of the favorites, I guess, on uh, tough this season to win. He's got the look. He's got, uh, you know, big old beard, super, super jacked. Um, I mean, he was real greasy in that fight against Brian Battle where it's like he took a knee to the face, pretended it was a headbutt, got himself like three or four minutes to like recover essentially. Uh, Battle was able to finish him in the in the second round, but it was he kind of gave him a little smirk, like, "Yeah, I knew what I just did." Uh, Gilmore on the other side, it's like he showed against Gilbert Urbina that's like he doesn't takedown defense doesn't really seem to be there, and that's what Petrovsky's gonna do. But the problem here is that we're getting into banana peel pricing. We've got five twenty five for Petrovsky. It's like, well, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm not gonna get too excited. But I think Petros, I, I mean, this is kind of a cupcake matchup for a guy that they thought could be very marketable coming off of this season to get a win in front of the crowd or in front of the fans. And uh, we'll see where he goes from here. But I think Petrosky rolls here. I don't know how excited I am to parlay uh, a guy with some significant gaps in his game, I still think, uh, at minus 525. But yeah, Petrosky should roll quite easily you should roll quite easily he's the biggest favorite on the card everyone seems to be picking them this week and you know I- i'm also going to include myself on that list but yeah minus 525 it's like you're getting yourself into some greasy territory just because he looks the part doesn't mean he fights the part and i'll admit the guy looks good he's got a good wrestling background he was a three-time state placer never won a state title however he wrestled out of pennsylvania <laughs> which is one hell of a state to try to win a state title in, right as far as college, I think he wrestled at North Carolina one year. That's a D1 university. Ends up transferring out to a D2 program. Wrestles there a little bit. So, you know he can wrestle. You know he's game. He's already 30 years old. My, my problem is prior to jumping into the Ultimate Fighter, yeah, he went 5-0 and against a low level of competition before running into Aaron Jeffrey. Aaron Jeffrey's from nearby Burlington, Ontario. Trans in Niagara Falls sometimes. 
um, the Niagara region, I guess I should say. But Aaron Jeffries is a solid Canadian talent. Went over there, fought in enemy territory in the LFA promotion, headliner against Petrovsky. And Petrovsky looks good early, but he fades, man. He starts to fade hard. He's one of these guys that's a power wrestler. And once he doesn't really have his way with the wrestling, he just overexerts himself. Once he gets tired in that fight, that's when Aaron Jeffrey takes over and ends up knocking him out in the second round. So now he makes it onto the ultimate fighter. He's not even the first selection. He's a second round pick. And when you see him fight in the, 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 the match with Brian Battle, it's much of the same. You know, he shoots in on the takedown. He gets a hold of the leg and then he muscles a lot of it. He struggles to take Brian Battle down. And then as soon as Brian Battle locks up that role, I guess he just ends up on top, throws him in an arm triangle choke. The guy taps out. So part of me thought he was tiring there. Part of me thought he tired in that Jeffrey fight. He's 30 years old. Can you can you revert him back? Can you change this all of a sudden? Like he should be able to go out there and just run right through uh, Michael Gilmore. But if he wasn't to get an early finish, would he tire in the second round? Would he tire in the third round? Would he quit at some point? I guess that's a little bit something to think about. Gilmore, meanwhile, wasn't even on the show. He comes in as a late world placement because homie hurts his knee. So he jumps in and it's just like, okay, you're, you're being brought in to lose. He does lose. Out of all the guys in the season you've could have selected to bring in to give a fight, like why, why him? 34 years old, out of the Michigan regional scene. But again, there's a couple of decent things that you could like. You know, he's an eight and two amateur. As an amateur, he shows a win over Chaos Williams, who's now fighting in the UFC, right? So it wasn't like it was a bad amateur run by no stretch of the imagination. As far as his pro fights go, like, yeah, again, fairly low level, but he's a karate guy. I think he won, like, a couple karate tournaments as recently back as a couple of years, like 2019. He does move pretty decent. Like, he's got some okay movement, some okay footwork. He strikes while moving forward. And for a karate guy, you know, like, he can throw singular strikes when he's moving back, but chances are he's going to get pressured here, get taken down, and get absolutely torched in there probably within the first round. So I'm going to go with Petrovsky, but whereas he's a, such a big favorite and everybody's on him, I don't think that necessarily makes him a top ticket play because, you know, he, he it's it's low level. And in low level MMA, anything can happen. You know, turns out one guy can't take a punch, doesn't have any heart, doesn't have any cardio, right? Would you be surprised? No, because it's like he hasn't shown you any of those things. Petrovsky hasn't shown you a cast iron chin and durability, a willingness to win, deep cardio. He hasn't shown you any of those things. No. But it's a 525 favorite. You, you would expect those things out of a 525 favorite, and that makes it a little bit dicey. But listen, I'm not going to go against the grain. I won't be the contrarian here. I'm not going to pick against him. It's just I don't, I don't feel as confident as the line would, would, would suggest simply because just because the UFC wants him to be the star of the show doesn't really mean he's got the skill set to do such. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. All right, moving on down the car, we got Mahmoud Muradov taking on Gerald Mearshart. Minus 525 Muradov, plus 385 Mahmoud Muradov. The over-under in this fight, over one and a half rounds, minus 125, under minus 105. I mean, Mahmoud Muradov, he's kind of got the the full package. Maybe not so much the wrestling. Um, We haven't really had defensive wrestling. Seems very, very solid. Boxing. Is is really is awesome. I always he was what signed by like Floyd Mayweather and his team. Uh, they see something in this guy. Uh, now we're starting to pay the price. We're paying the piper on this. But I mean, if it was Petrosky or Muradov, I guess I would probably just go with Mahmoud because I think he's just going to have a massive speed of speed advantage here. Um, the footwork is on point. 
The more important or the more interesting bet for me here, though, is the over one and a half rounds minus 125. Uh, he hasn't exactly been like some sort of like complete potent finisher uh, in most of his career. I mean, he even took on uh, what Andrew Sanchez, who is like notably chinny and wasn't able to finish him until round three. I know that Gerald's coming off of, you know, two, two early finishes, uh, Kimaya being one of them. And a lot of his fights, you know, if he's able to get you to the mat, he, you know, he has some of the best uh, submission skills in the middleweight division. But I think we see at least seven and a half minutes out of these two. So my preferred bet on this fight is uh, over one and a half rounds minus 125. Uh, Muradov, I guess, makes a decent parlay piece, but you're starting to pay the piper as well. Over one and a half. I, I, I don't think Muradov has showed us that he's in any rush to get finishes early in the UFC. You're completely right with that. And he does take his time. He has more of a boxing approach. And he generally sets these things up as third round finishes. You've seen him score them against uh, Trevor Smith and Sanchez. But he'll take his time, find that KO blast later on in the fight. But with Mirchard, I just, I don't, I don't trust that any one punch won't be the punch. Like Ian Heinish hasn't not shown big power punching abilities. And yes, he more or less folded him with the first right hand he threw. And Kamzat Chemaev had not really shown any striking so far to that point in his career. He needed only 17 seconds. So yeah. I think Mirchard is chinny. I think that if you do hit him right on the button, you are going to knock him out. Regardless of if Muradov's doing it in the third round, he does have good technical boxing, and he has knocked out some pretty decent guys. So, yeah, it could just be that one shot. With Mirashard as well, he's going to try to get this fight to the ground. He's going to grind. He typically goes like an all-or-nothing style. Like, he will grind you down. Either you get tired or he gets tired. Someone getting tired. If he's not able to drag Muradov down, he's going to have to strike with him. You know, that that could be the problem. I think we a lot of people have been uh, impressed with what they've seen from Mac Moon since he came to the UFC. Apparently he used to be gay for pay, but back in Czech Republic. So, I mean, the guy's uh, used to performing under the bright spotlights. And as far as him being in the UFC, yeah, he's done fairly good for himself. He's got a good finishing ability. Um, I, I just think that he's probably going to find the chin at some point and knock out Jared Mearshart. Mearshart's one of these guys, though, right, where you'd love to bet this guy when he is these advanced price tags. In this case, you're getting a plus 385 price tag on him, mm -hmm. and Mearshart's got over 50 professional fights. He's got a nasty submission game. He's got a wealth of experience. And he's one of these guys that, you know, is capable of springing the big win. Similar to a Paul Craig, he is chinny, no doubt about it. But given the right guy, he can pull off some, sub sub some submission magic. And for that reason, he's always going to be live. But I'm going to agree with your assessment. When you look at the two big minus 525 favorites on the card, at least with Muradov, he's proven. He's fought on an elite level. And he can knock you out in the first. I believe he can knock you out in the first. But I'm, I'm, it's positive. It's, you know, I'm encouraged by the fact that he's able to knock guys out in the third round as well. Meaning that if Mirchart is able to take him down in the first, maybe even have a good second round about him, we're not completely out of the water. He will fight for that KO all three rounds in. And it seems like his cardio and his power are able to translate to later rounds as well, which is always positive. So I got to go with Muradov. I'm going to have to go with Muradov inside the distance. As far as the over under one yes. and a half, yeah, that's a it's great question. But I think the, the under two and a half or the fight doesn't go the distance seem seem like the more likely uh, scenario. Yeah, I mean, Mahmoud by knockout is already minus 175. Him inside the distance is... I uh, don't have it 
in front of me on DraftKings. Oh, yeah, KOTKO submission is minus 200. So it's like they're all over. The books are, are pretty know. wise right. to uh, to how this shit plays <laughs> out. Um, if you were a Mearsharp believer, uh, I think there is like 10 to 1s on Mearsharp by sub. I'm not one myself. But uh, if you were, I think that would be like a decent little way to get some exposure here. I don't see him winning a fight on the feet. I would be pretty su- stunned to see him just like control from guard for for three rounds. It's like he's either going to get a submission over Macklin Murodov or he's not. So if you were going to make that play, I would rather than even taking the plus 385, I would just take Mearshart by sub at like 10 to 1. And some, some places even better out there. Um but people, people are on it. I think it's been uh, it's been creeping down. All right, next up we got Alessio DiCherico taking on Abdul Razak Al Hassan minus two forty. DiCherico Abdul Razak Al Hassan can be had four plus one ninety five. Um, obviously, Abdul Razak Al Hassan was supposed to take Antonio Bragonito uh, last week. He was supposed to take him on, or he's supposed to take him on for like the last yeah. two weeks. And then Bragonito like pulled out of the first one, and then pulled out of this one, and they gave him a much harder matchup. Like this is a this is a tough spot for for Abdul Razak Al Hassan because Alessio Di Chirico has very very good durability, and that's literally what we've seen from Abdul Razak. It's his only path to victory. It's like he's got to lay those hands on you. He's got to lay them on you early, and uh, and and put and put you away. Otherwise. You know, Dicharico is just gonna. Dicharico, when we get into round two, round three, it's just like his motor is gonna keep moving, and we've seen it enough times now that Al Hassan just doesn't have three round cardio. And if he does have, like, when he does have like decent cardio in round three, it's because he's had no volume and he hasn't been winning anything early on in the fight trying to conserve himself. So the guy's pretty knockout or bust, and he's taking on a guy who doesn't get knocked out. I understand why DiCherico's minus 240 here. It pre- seems pretty simple to me. What about you? Dude, I completely understand where you're coming from, and I completely agree. I think that's Licio DiCherico's best quality so far has been his solid chin. He's got good durability, and not, not getting knocked out keeps him in the fight. And when he stays in the fight against these guys that have flimsy durability – he eventually finds a way to win. When you look at his run, he's taken on some decent power punchers. Like that Oluwale Bangbase never really panned out in the UFC, but oh, that guy was shredded up and a dangerous power puncher, right? He's fought in that the likes of him. Julian Marquez, you know, fairly one-dimensional, but a big husky power puncher. Uh, Makman Muradov, who we just spoke about, an excellent boxer. And when you look at the Makman fight, actually, Alicia DiTrico wins on all three scorecards the third round. Fights his way back into the fight, sticks around the entire time, and his best round's the third. And at least on, I think, MMA Junkie, Wrestling Observer, and MMA Brazil all scored the fight for Dietrico 29-28. So, like, it was competitive enough, but he shows you that that durability keeps him in the fight. Um, same thing can be said against Zach Cummins, and same thing can be said against Joaquin Buckley. Joaquin Buckley is kind of like power punching personified right now. This guy is going to come at you he's going to land some heaters if he knocks you out you're out if he doesn't knock you out you'll be able to fight your way back into it and what you see from Dietrico is the same thing you know he uses his range extremely well against a shorter Buckley he sets up that head kick extremely well he gets the knockout victory he effectively cashes as the biggest underdog on the card and it was a plus 230 hit all great stuff out of him 
with Razakas Al-Hassan, again, you've already mentioned this, he's just a big-time power puncher, but he's a one-dimensional power puncher, and he prefers to get it done early. So how's this going to play out? Well, Al-Hassan, probably going to go in there, try to get the early KO. If he does, he wins. If he doesn't, Dietrich is going to work his way back into it. Whereas this is different than normal times, is that this guy, Al-Hassan, now is moving up to 185 pounds, right? He's campaigned mm-hmm. largely as a welterweight throughout his career, dropping fights to Manir Lazez at a catchweight when he missed weight at 174. Against Chaos Williams, he missed weight again, came in at 172 and a half. And then his last time against Malkoon, he was sorry, that was his middleweight yeah, debut. But he looked out of sorts big time. Did not look good. Did not look I like mean, a middleweight. His judo, right? Ineffective. Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, he was a minus 310 favorite over Malkoon and he lost. He was a 210 favorite over Chaos Williams when he lost. He was a 350 favorite over Munir Laziz when he lost. Now, I can tell you something right here. The UFC was trying to get this man a win. They mm-hmm. gave him Antonio Braganito, and that would have been an extremely favorable matchup for him, for sure. And they tried to book it twice. And when it fell through, they were like, would you take DiCirico? And now it's just polar opposite. So you were taking DiCirico right off the hop, but also probably a solid opportunity to think about a live bet, right? Whereas yeah. Al-Hassan will probably look good in the first round. And, you know, he could land some shots, but Dietrico will probably come out, win the second round, even if it's closer. And then by the third round, you know, it's going to be all Dietrico. So good live betting opportunity. But as far as the pre-fight bet goes, it's going to be the same. It'll be Alicia Dietrico. I like that. I think that's uh, pretty smart. Just because if Al-Hassan has any sort of success, it's going to be really early. You'll probably improve that minus 240. With a little bit of patience. Moving on down the card, we've got Wellington Termon taking on Smiling Sam Alvey. Termon can be had for minus 130, Alvey plus 110. I mean, Termon seems to fancy himself a bit of a grappler. Uh, in terms of his striking game, it's a lot of, you know, forward pressure. And uh, the durability seems questionable. The year is 2021, and I'm considering a bet on Sam Alvey here, Cody. What does Sam do? He likes backing up against the cage and then unleashing his left, his his straight left. Like, Terman looks like the exact type of guy. You know, he'll he'll try to go for takedowns. Sam's very, very hard to take down. Um, this is a very winnable fight for Sam Alvey, and I, I'm kind of surprised I feel this way about it. How scary is that? It's 2021 and I can't even get good internet connection and Sam Alvey is being considered as a play. So I hear you. It's pretty crazy times all over the place, my man. But yeah, I agree. Sam Alvey's been on a terrible run, which is why you're going to be able to get him as a plus 110 underdog. Not huge underdog money, but all the same, he's going to be an underdog. But really, it just comes down to styles make fights. Styles make fights. Sam Alvey is extremely limited. At 205, he had virtually no success. He's currently on a run that is he's oh oh five and one mm-hmm. oh five and one in his last six fights like sorry it, yeah he's oh five and one in his last fights in his last six fights right now should he have won the dong jung fight <laughs> probably probably and i think that's why they've kept him on the roster but this hasn't been a good run whatsoever he struggles to make 85 every time out so you're gonna have to wait until you see the weigh-ins however it was encouraging that he made 85 against julian marquez in his last fight ultimately did lose but is still able to make the weight he's got traditionally really good takedown defense and his striking he's got big time power but he's so lackadaisical he doesn't throw Mm -hmm. enough actual strikes and if you're not throwing then you're not landing if you're not landing you're not going to knock this guy out so that approach has lost him 
countless fights in the UFC. There's a reason he comes into this particular spot with 15 losses. But impressively enough, check out your favorite MMA fighter. How many guys got 20 KO wins in MMA? Not many. Sam Alvey does. He does have natural power and good takedown defense. So against the right opponent, if he could make those two things work again, it'll work. Also, it still does have a pretty good chin on him. Yeah. With Terman, dude, he comes from like a shoot-to-box base, but he's not looking to strike at all. He's looking to clinch up and get you to the ground. He wants to grind on the ground. Only, sorry, that's a lie. He's looking to get you on the ground, but he's not looking to grind on the ground. He's looking to overzealously advance position, ends up losing the position in the process, and then tires himself out. Very discouraging work out of him. First and foremost, he only shows a 22% takedown accuracy through five fights in the UFC. Through, sorry, through four fights in the UFC, 22%. So again, his wrestling's not very good to begin with. And against Sam Alvey's traditionally strong takedown defense up against the cage, it's not likely that Terman's getting this thing down at will. If he was to get the fight down to the ground, this is where he blows it. He ends up on top of Andrew Sanchez. He ends up on top of Carl Roberson. Sorry, and not Andrew Sanchez. He just got blasted hard in that one. He ends up on top of Carl Roberson with the four takedowns, and he ends up on top of Bruno Silva. In both of those spots, he's not just holding the guy down and winning the round. He ends up trying to take the back. He ends up trying to advance, and he every single time will lose the position on that basis. When he loses the position, his opponents take over. And you saw that in that Bruno Silva fight. Mm -hmm. He did get the fight to the ground, Paul. It gets back up. He gets it to the ground. But he starts going for these stupid positions. He allows a much bigger, stronger, scarier man to get on top. And when Bruno Silva gets on top, he absolutely just uncorks this kid and knocks him out. Getting knocked out by Andrew Sanchez, not a good look, especially in the first round, especially in an all-striking affair. So he's been knocked out in two straight fights. His takedown offense, not all that good. He's still very young and green. He doesn't have great cardio. And he's going against a guy, Sam Alvey, that has strong takedown defense, strong power in his hands, and is capable of knocking you out. Veteran savvy experience that is able to carry him through 15 minutes. He ends up being a live dog in a lot of these spots because he can fight for 15 minutes. Even Sam Alvey, we talk about a run of bad luck. Like the Dong Jung fight should have been his. Furthermore, the Ryan Spann fight right before that, he's a plus 275 underdog. This close to knocking out Ryan Spann and winning that fight. Ends up having to lose a split decision, but... Alvi's going to be there. He's going to be there for 15. He's going to fight for your dollar. It's going to be frustrating to watch in spots. It's like, Stan, do a little more. But in the end, I'm going to have faith that he is going to get it done. So this will be a dog play. And again, I agree with you in a lot of the points. And I will go with a smile and Sam Alvi. All right. Dustin Jacoby takes on Darren Stewart. Minus 170 Jacoby. Plus 150 Stewart. Who you got here? Again, you need an underdog case for this fight as well, just because it's fairly low level. Like Dustin Jacoby's coming in as a minus one seventy five favorite, but is it warranted? Like as far as his UFC run is con is concerned, you know he beats Justin Ledet. I think that was more or less a foregone conclusion. But the Maxim Grishin fight, he looked awful. I mean, awful, awful. Like very, very lucky to end up with a decision victory in that spot. His world renowned kickboxing game. You know he fought for glory and. As far as American kickboxing goes, he's legit. Back three X Muay Thai. Man, Grishin, a guy that looked awful himself in his own UFC uh, prior to UFC fights, put a clinic on him, beat him up, battered him around the ring. And then the next fight with Ian Kudalaba, he got dominated in the wrestling. Did an excellent job of surviving and fighting his way back into that fight. But I think it was on the basis of a 10 8. You know, he ends up having to settle for a draw in that spot. So he hasn't looked very good coming back to the UFC. And if to pinpoint what exactly does not look good about his game, his cardio seems massively off. Uh, like he just needs to get tired of there and then they just become these sluggish affairs. 
again, if you're barely beating Maxim Grishin, that's cause for concern. Ian Kudalaba, a little bit higher up on, but we know how Kudalaba fights. He's a banger bust kind of guy. And in this case, he tried to bang, right? Didn't work, ended up busting. Still got a draw out of it. I, when you look at Darren Stewart, again, he's not a 205er. This guy's a middleweight. But if to make an argument, it's that, well, at least Dustin Jacoby is a former middleweight himself. So they're both not particularly big. He hasn't looked all that good in his last run of fights, but his wrestling's probably a little bit better than Jacoby's. He fights decently enough in the clinch, and they both have bad cardio, but I might be willing to say slight lean for Darren Stewart. The first time he fought Eric Anders, he looked awful. The next one, he was like, I'd like to fight you at 205. Still looked awful, but looked way better. I think if he can continuously make some small improvements, fill out that frame at 205, and come back with a little bit better of uh, some cardio and a better game plan, he could make it work against a guy like Dustin Jacoby. However, I, I'm making that point just to let you know we're not diving all the way on Jacoby. I, I think this is another one of these spots that I'd rather pass or you know end up with Dustin Jacoby on some later stuff. I'll recap it. I'll keep my eye open for Wayans. I'd really like to see how Darren Stewart comes in at his a sophomore outing at 205. And I do think that that grappling could make him live. But the fact that he's not, a 205 in my opinion he is a natural middleweight that wrestling shouldn't be as effective against jacoby the bigger man and jacoby striking you would think would allow him to pull away later in the fight i was largely disappointed in stewart versus eric anders but again eric anders dominated him in the clinch jacoby probably won't do that smart the smart move is probably a pass but what we'll end up doing is probably end up ending taking justin jacoby and keeping him on the, the later end of the parlays yeah I generally agree with pretty much everything you just said there. All right, moving on down the car, we got uh, J.J. Aldrich taking on Vanessa Demopoulos. Aldrich, your baby, can be had for minus 380, Demopoulos plus 290. I can't imagine you're taking Demopoulos here. No, I, you got to go with J.J. Aldrich all day. She was supposed to take on Tracy Cortez, and that one's interesting because Tracy Cortez has got a pretty bonafide wrestling game behind her. So with J.J., the camp would have been almost exclusively sprawling brawl, you know, work the takedown defense, keep this thing standing, and use your superior striking acumen. I mean, J.J. Aldrich at her best is a very smooth technical striker. She does rely pr primarily on the jab. I mean, it's not like they're power shots, but it's mostly just, you know, picking your opponent apart. It's more of a point fight style, but, I mean, she uses it extremely effectively. From childhood, she did uh, traditional martial arts. And, again, you see a lot of that in her. But she traces, trains with Rose Namajunas. She's out of Colorado, trains at Denver, usually shows up in great shape. And uh, she's only getting better. I mean, she's 28 years old. You are seeing some improvements from her game. Is she limited all around? Potentially. But, you know, solid enough. A fight with Tracy Cortez would have been very telling for both fighters. Vanessa Demopoulos coming in a short notice. I mean, that almost plays perfectly into J.J. Aldridge's game. Because in Vanessa, you got someone who's a mega babe, but doesn't have the wrestling, like, at all. Like, no wrestling. Zero wrestling. As far as your striking goes, no striking. Zero striking. Like, runs head first into shots. Jiu-Jitsu, legit. You know, extremely flexible from her days as a stripper. Um, but also, I believe she's currently a BJJ black belt. You know, has won some world titles as far as gi jiu-jitsu goes. She's got a nasty, nasty inverted triangle. Nasty triangle choke game in general. Good with the armbar. You don't want to go to the ground with her. But if you're the type of fighter that can sprawl and brawl, which I know J.J. Aldridge has been preparing for almost exclusively, you're going to use it to great effect. And I think that's what's going to happen here. Vanessa Demopoulos and all of her losses have been the exact same thing. The Corey McKenna fight, the Lupita Godinez fight, she runs face first at you, face first. She swings wild. She's got almost no reach on her. What's her official reach? She's 5'2 with a 62-inch 62 62. reach, right? 
Yeah, so I mean that's that's been her problem is that she's just not a striker. She doesn't have the frame for it. She needs to force these fights to the ground. And when she's unable to get these fights, sorry, you know what? Tapology has her listed. I knew it was wrong. Tapology says she's five two with a sixty two inch reach, but mm-hmm. UFC stats fight metric, which is supposed to be the official stat provider, has her at five two with a fifty nine inch reach. Fifty nine. 59 inch reach, Those right? The... Which means JJ Aldrich is 67 inch reach, which represents an eight inch reach advantage. JJ is just going to keep her on the end of the jab all day long. Mm-hmm. Vanessa will shoot from way too far out. She'll get desperate from way too far out. And JJ is going to rinse and repeat all night long. If the fight was to hit the ground, if Vanessa was to power through on something and get on top, we've got a problem on our hands. I just don't think that she's going to be able to do it consistently enough. And the fact that she's coming on a short notice really does make me feel a lot better about that assessment. So I got to go with JJ using the jab, using the kicks, using the range, staying to the outside, getting it job done. People might come back with, it's in the apex, man, shorter distance to close. Fair. I'm going to counter that point with there are women, 115 pounders. Like they don't take, it's not heavyweight, you know, like they don't take a whole lot of room in the octagon to begin with. So like Mm -hmm. JJ should still be able to move laterally and get out of harm's way. For that reason, listen, 325 is a big price tag for women's MMA, especially when someone's bad. a high-level grappler like just Demopolis, but it, they are right. It just went, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that all kind of makes sense to me. I didn't actually know about the this massive reach advantage. Like that, If you're not a great wrestler, you're giving up like eight eight inches of reach, 59-inch reach, uh, reach, like like T-Rex arms. Who I, that's got to be the shortest reach in UFC history. We used to make fun of who was it that we used to make fun of? Somebody I've had never like a seen 60, like, Hannah Goldie's got a sixty-one inch reach, or someone else that we used to make fun of. I think they had like a sixty-inch reach. T Rex arms. Yeah, yeah, back yeah, in no. the day. Well, it, I think it was sixty-two. Sixty-two is what we'd always used to laugh about. I was like, "Holy crap, that's no reach, right?" Mm-hmm. And. uh yeah, Sub yeah. 60? In this case, it's a 59 inch reach. And again, yeah, go in, go in tape study any fight from her, and you, it becomes very apparent that she's coming up short on almost all of her punches. She's but she's durable. extremely willing. And yeah. Yeah, her face will be busted up, and she'll have her mouth open, and she'll be, you know, considered tired, and she's still coming right at you in a five round fight. Again, so we mentioned the fact that she lost to Corey McKenna and uh, Lupita Godinez the exact same way. Keep in mind, she fought Sam Hughes, and Sam Hughes does not look good in the UFC whatsoever. Sam Hughes wins the first three rounds and gets caught in an inverted triangle choke. Yeah, in the I remember fourth. watching so that one. That should have been a loss as well. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, all I'm going to say is that, like, again, she's, I think she's a very pretty girl. Um, but the skill, she has to get this thing to the ground. And I haven't seen enough of that. So I got to go with J.J. Aldridge to pull up to get the job done. Yeah, I remember watching the Sam Hughes one when Sam Hughes was making her UFC debut. Um, and yeah, it was, Sam Hughes was dominating until the round four sub. All right, we got Good Jamal. Yeah, we got uh, exactly. Jamal Emmers taking on Pat Sabatini, minus 150. Emmers plus 130. Sabatini, who you got here? 
You know what? I think I'm going to go with Pat Sabatini. And largely, and you got really bad ring IQ, and there's a plus money tag on your opponent. I'm going to, it's it's worth it's worth a sniff at the very least. Jamal Emmers, it's scary to fade him in that. I think this guy is ultra talented. He's got a collegiate wrestling background. He's got very sharp grappling. He's got good striking. The problems are is that he just allows himself to lose these close fights. He doesn't shoot the takedowns when he has the, the clear grappling advantage, or he'll shoot the takedowns too late in the round, or just won't shoot enough of them. The striking, you know, good, crisp, yeah, very athletic guy, moves well, can fight rangy, but there's not enough work out of him. He's not throwing enough continuously. Um, seeing him on the regional scene, I mean, he was a standout. The guy was extremely solid. However, his losses are to guys, you know, to other fellow prospects. You know, Thiago Moises knocked him out in the fifth round. Rachel Hill was not a prospect, but he choked him out in the second. And Julian Arosa on Contender Series knocked him out with a head kick in the second. You could largely argue that he's a career underachiever. He fought for the RFA title. He lost in the fifth round. He fought in Contender Series. He got knocked out by Julian Arosa. He talked on a 17 and 14 journeyman in Rachel Hill. He got choked out with a triangle in the first. So he does kind of come up short in a lot of these spots. Does a great job of reinventing himself and making it to the UFC. But in that Giga Chikotse fight, man, he just handed it over. You knew going in. Everybody knew going in. We have a Kyukushin Karate Black Belt who fought for the Glory Kickboxing Promotion, the world's premier kickboxing organization, taking on a guy that wrestled collegiately and has a much stronger grappling game. Why would you not take the fight to the ground? And the problem is, is that he did, he did. He scored two takedowns. But it was like he waited way too long. He stared at Giga way too long, and he allowed those rounds to be given to Giga. I personally did score the fight for Emmers. Unfortunately, only one judge agreed with that, and the other two went to Giga. And that was Emmers' fault. I didn't scream robbery. I didn't whine about it. Emmers gave that fight away. That's fair. He won the third round. He looked better in the third. He just waited way too long. The Vince Cachero fight, he looked better. But again, he went 15 minutes with Vince Cachero, who would be considered very low level. He got the victory. And then that's the only fight he's had in a year now. He's 32 years old. If there was a guy that I'd be willing to take an opportunity to fade, it could be him. With Pat Sabatini, meanwhile, this guy seems solid, man. He's 30 years old. He's the uh, CFFC featherweight champion. But, I mean, he's got kind of good skill set all over. He's got a – I I don't want to say grappling advantage over Emers. Emers is actually a pretty good grappler himself. But his grappling is pretty solid. He's got good striking. He's, he's got solid cardio. He himself is a pretty durable guy. He comes out of Henzo, Henzo Gracie, Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. So same camp as Sean Brady, who was supposed to be on the card. And same camp as Buddy from the Ultimate Fighter. Doesn't matter. It's solid enough camp out of Henzo Gracie, Philadelphia. I think that he's going to be a well-rounded guy. One thing I got to question is that you'll see him a lot of the time. He'll try to mix in his own offensive takedowns, right? With Jamal Emmers, you don't see Jamal Emmers have to counter-wrestle a whole lot. We know that he's a good wrestler offensively, doesn't pull the trigger quite as much. But if for whatever reason he was to end up on his back with Pat Sabatini on top, that's going to be a problem. As far as stand-up goes, again, I would give the slight advantage to Emmers, but Sabatini might throw more volume and come mm -hmm. forward and be the aggressor and make it work for himself. And we, anyways, we see underdogs hit every single event. This is another card. It looks like it's going to be mostly chalky. But for underdogs that I think have a shot, I, I might end up going with this Brady Highstand kid. But Brady Highstand as an underdog, uh, Sam Alvey as an underdog, potentially a Darren Stewart underdog. But then more, more than I like that Darren Stewart one would be Pat Sabatini, right? Not right. the world's, world's worst play. I do want to see the weigh-ins, but he's the younger, fresher guy coming out of a solid camp and he's got a pretty well-rounded skill set. So I could see him pulling this one off actually. When Cody picks underdogs, I pay attention. 
Finally, we got uh, Mana Martinez taking on Guido Canetti. Mana Mar Martinez is a minus 265 favorite. Canetti can be had for plus 215. I mentioned earlier that I had a parlay. That was Ricky Tercios over two and a half rounds with fight doesn't go to decision in this one. Mana Martinez goes out there and he tries to finish you quick. I think I think it's pretty clear from watching like him versus Draco Rodriguez that his grappling is probably pretty questionable. And Kennedy does when when Kennedy wins, it's not usually by finish. He does go to decision, so there is a little bit of inherent risk in this but I, I just think that it covers pretty much every angle that i want to be associated with on this fight just to use the doesn't go to decision as a parlay piece here maybe kennedy shows that he's got like a slight grappling advantage over martinez in this spot but what i really expect to see you know kennedy's been knocked out a whole bunch of times now he's like 30 36 37 years old He's getting 41. long. He's only 31? 41. 40. 41. Uh, 41 years old. He's long in the tooth. They brought, like, he's he's here. Martinez was supposed to fight Trevin Jones, and then weirdly he gets rebooked for this fight against Kennedy, who's coming off of two losses, three of his last four. The writing kind of seems on the wall. I'm expecting to see a Mana Martinez knockout uh, probably in round one. What about you? Yeah, you know what? I, I couldn't agree more. I think Manny Martinez is the clear and obvious choice here, right? He should go out there and he should be able to get the, the first round knockout. I'm super impressed with what I see out of him in terms of power in both hands. I mean, this kid lands on you. He can generate a whole lot of force. He does seem like one of these guys that prefers to get that early knockout. And again, his record is just, it's 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 almost all finishes outside of a split decision loss in his second pro fight. He goes out there, he knocks you out. But whereas a lot of these guys, we always make the same comparison, like, while they're fighting cans, you want to see them fight later in rounds. Like he's fought in good guys. He knocked out Ricky Tercios in the first round. Ricky now in the finals of the Ultimate Fighter. Um, he also has already fought Drago Rodriguez, who you see in the Ultimate Fighter. And then this Jose Johnson, who's on the Contender Series, is actually a sizable favorite on the Contender Series. Well experienced guy, and he goes out there and he knocks him out 32 seconds in. I, I think that he's aggressive. I think he's got good striking. I think he's got very solid wrestling as well. His takedown defense is solid. So even if Guido Canetti was to decide, you know what, I want to grapple this kid, I think he's going to have a hell of a hard time taking him down. And so for that reason, you, you got to think that Manny Martinez gets the job done. Manny, meanwhile, you pick up the phone. Who am I fighting? Jesse Strader. In. I'm in on that. Then the phone rings. Strader's out. You're fighting Trevin Jones. Well, that's that's tough to fight. Then then Trevin Jones is not. You're not fighting Trevin Jones. You're fighting Guido Canetti. In on that, like, talk about a great phone call to get. And Canetti's not coming in necessarily short notice because he was going to fight Mario Batista. But again, I think that was them trying to get Batista back in the win column after a tough loss to Trevin Jones. And Guido at one point sprung a huge upset. Hugo Vienna. He's a plus plus four fifty underdog. Then he tested positive for steroids. Then he got a three-year ban. He took off between 2015 and 2018 on a suspension. Came back in 2018, got subbed in the first round. And then you know what? They were going to Ch Chile. And they had one guy on the roster from Chile. They signed just for the event, Diego Rivas. And they brought in Guido Canetti to be that opponent for the local Chilean guy. While he pulls off the victory in that fight, Paul. You know, even though he's a plus 150 underdog still. 
And then when you see him against other opposition, you know, Marlon Vera, we'll give him a total pass on that one. He actually looked somewhat competitive in the first round as he somewhat, and anyway, a lot of the time Guido is competitive in the first and then he falls apart. But that last fight against Dana Batgarel, like um, a Mongolian wrestler, he wasn't expected to get knocked out in the first round. He did look old in that fight. He looked like he was a shell of the guy he used to be. And then that's a year and a half ago. He's now coming in as a 41-year-old. We know that he's a banger standing, but he's not going to be able to bang with Martinez. So we're going to have to force him to the ground. And I think Manny Martinez's stout takedown defense will carry him over in that. Stop the takedown, keep it standing, get the knockout. You know, you mentioned fight doesn't go the distance. Totally agree. Under two and a half, I agree. Under one and a half, very likely. And the Manny Martinez inside the distance by TKO, straight up. It all makes a lot of sense. So again, you can make a good argument for a lot of the underdogs on this card. This one, I don't necessarily agree with quite as much. And again, when you want to talk about pricings for the card in general, you've got a minus 525 price tag on Petrovsky. It's like, shit, you know, he's got questionable cardio and, you know, I'll probably pay it, but I don't feel great about it. Muradov, 525 over Mearshart. Feel better about that. But, you know, Mearshart's one of these savvy junkyard dogs. Uh, a 380 price on JJ Aldrich. I actually feel better about that than the 250. 25 prize tags to be completely honest with you but you know geez vanessa's got a you know thick booty on her and if she gets on top she's got good jiu-jitsu guido canetti this is even better price tag 265 and again i feel better about this than i do about the two 525 favorites so i think there's a lot that you can do with Manny martinez this week i think there's a lot you can do with some of these you know various spots and i think about i'm hoping three or four underdogs come through and we're on the right side of those all right. Yeah, I'll just run through what I've got money on. I took uh, Edson Barbosa. I got him at minus 110. I've got the parlay with Tercios versus he stand over two and a half rounds parlayed with uh, fight doesn't go to decision in Mana Martinez versus Canetti. I'm going to add Alvi inside the distance because I don't want to get screwed. There isn't much of a difference between by KO. That's how I think it's going to happen. But I don't want to get screwed if... You know, he snatches a neck like he, he did against. He snatched a neck <laughs> yeah, against yeah, Eric yeah. Spicely way, way back when. Yeah. But like the difference between yeah. inside the distance and KO props isn't really paying all that much. I don't want to get scummed on anything like that. So I'm going to add that as soon as we get off the line here. I'm going to tail you on your boy Pat Sabatini. I like Brian Barbary or Brian Brian Battle as a minus one sixty. I got to figure out what I'm going to parlay that with. I just typically don't bet 160 straight, but uh, I could bet it straight. It's just, I guess, slightly less exciting. I don't know. For whatever reason, I'll find something else to uh, to parlay with Brian Battle. But I think uh, he's definitely my favorite uh, side in any of those Ultimate Fighter finale fights. Uh, we're just about out of time here, Cody. But before we go, hit him with the PRP. Hit them with the PRP, and I'll give you the method of victory. I've had a couple of requests. Shout out to 100 Man. I know he hit me up as well, but you want method of victory with the pick, so I'll just run through it quick with how I think it's going to go down. So I'll go with Edson Barbosa as well, feeling the decision. I would take the over 4.5 at plus 110. Brian Battle, minus 160. I think Battle I think Battle knocks him out. Uh, I, I'm going to go with the dog play number one here, Brian High, uh, Brady Highstand, and I think Brady's going to be done by decision. We're going to go with Kevin Lee by decision. Andre Petrovsky inside the distance, uh, preferably knockout, but it could be a submission. So just take the ITD if you're going to go with any one of those. Uh, Machman Muradov, I would say, but inside the distance. Alicio DiCirico. I'm going to say decision on that one. Alicio DiCirico by decision. Uh, we're going to go Sam Alvey. Again, I'm thinking inside the distance like you are, Paul. And then Sam Alvey is going to be our dog number two officially. 
We're going to go with uh, Dustin Jacoby by decision. I could be talked out of that one. Definitely wait for the weigh-ins. We're going to go with J.J. Aldrich by decision specifically. Pat Sabatini by decision. That would be dog number three. And then Mena Martinez by KO. So on a 12-fight card, we're hoping three underdogs come through. You know, that sounds about fair. Hopefully we're on the right side of things. Hopefully, as far as the props goes, you know, we can release some prop stuff later in the week, potentially, depending on... It, it all depends on the weigh-ins for me. Weigh-ins is a huge thing. I get a lot of messages that are like, send your parlays earlier in the week and, like, let us know early in the week so that we hit value and we hit pricing. And I, I agree with that, but I really like watching the weigh-ins and knowing it. Because there's been times, long time in the past, you got money locked in a guy, you feel so good about it all week. And then, like, later on in the week, it's like, oh, is a head coach is not able to fly in with him. It's like, oh, well, I wish I knew that. But whatever, it's all good. Then you see the guy in the scales and he looks like shit. And you just know, you're like, why did I lock in that bet mm. 10 days ago? Like, I don't like betting futures. So much can change in between here and there. So as of now, that's what we're going with. Nine favorites, three underdogs. Um, but again, check out on Twitter. If you have any questions, any concerns, any comments, whatever, hit me up on Twitter at CJ Saftik. Or of course, we love comments on this video. Um, like, subscribes, all that. Just because it helps Pat, it helps the cog machine. You know, it helps, it helps things move and advancing. So if you like the show, you like free content, that stuff always helps as well. 100%. Uh, yeah, you're going to be dropping a PFL vid uh, for the peoples, I imagine, on CJMMA. Yeah, yeah, 100%. The fights are on Friday, so my plan was to release it today, although I don't know if people will care because we're all releasing the UFC card. But again, PFL is one of those things you'd love to watch the weigh-ins because who you don't even know who's on the card until yeah. the weigh-ins they'll tell you show. this guy and that guy that's bullshit you have to see them on the scale before you even know what the matchup is and uh and furthermore again i like to see the weigh-ins but uh, yeah the pfl stuff um it, it's another interesting card it's a couple good spots so i know last week we kind of fucked up in that parlay and our bellator guys and our pfl guys and our ufc guys together you know you have one taylor johnson shits in the pie in a fight he very well could have won and, you know, Dennis Goldstaff did the exact same thing. It was a very winnable spot for him. But, you know, they fight bad game plans. Ultimately, you can break down the fight. But if you run a simulated fight 100 times, you know, yeah, Taylor Johnson probably does a little more. I don't probably not. He really shit the bed. That guy mm. is dead to me. Goldstaff, I'll give him a pass, even though he fought the worst game plan known to man. I will give him a pass. Croatian power got the better of him. But Taylor Johnson, dead to me. I'm not threatening him by the way. Getting cut from the Bellator prelims. Where's he going? Where's he going from there? Taylor Johnson? Yeah. They'll bring him back. And if they match him up against some pots, then sure. I mean, let's be real here. If they like him, they'll match him up with some pots. Like that's that's how that's the Bellator way. You know, minus 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 one thousand favorites across the board. It isn't an easy way to make money, parlaying all of those those pieces together. Um. Yeah, I mean that wraps it up for us this week. Want to thank Cody Saftik, obviously, for being in line. Want to thank uh, producer Pat and producer Matt behind the scenes for doing all the sweet cuts for Pat, Matt, and Cody. I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. Oh, oh, oh. Oh.